11 years. 11 years. Yeah. And president the whole time, or you started? The last six. The last six. All right, and so um, here's your clicker. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming. Awesome. How cool is that? <laughs> I really appreciate Matt and Casey and the friendship that that we're growing uh, into just getting to connect with them. And I'm, I'm grateful you took me up on the opportunity to offer you a week off when the little one was coming. So it worked out perfect. I've never been to worship with you all before. So this is my first time to join you in worship. I've known of Turner and it's a blessing of mine to be worshiping with you. So thanks brother and uh, love the connection. Uh, you know, the college has been around for 77 years in Boise. So, uh, you know, I'm standing on the on the shoulders of men and women that have, that have led and influenced that college. Uh, but let me just tell you a bit. I'd like to kind of phrase it this way, that the college for those seven decades has been about helping students be, be scripturally aware, scripturally aware, in a world where the scripture is not being espoused near as much and biblical literacy seems to be on the rise. We're helping students become aware of scripture, not just the data and information of it, but because in the scripture, that's where you encounter the face of God. But also you begin to see yourself. So there's, a, there's another awareness. They become scripturally aware to encounter God, but they become self-aware. You know, James talks about the scriptures being like a mirror. And so I think we help our students begin to see who they truly are in a, in a gender-confused day. For example, students are wondering who they are, and they're beginning to encounter the face of God and find out who they're truly made to be in his image. They become self-aware scripturally aware, self-aware, and we believe then they become more and better socially aware. Surely they're socially aware, but they don't always think it through a scriptural lens. So we're putting it in that order so they can become scripturally aware, know who they truly are in the image of God, so they can truly interpret script or society and what's going on in society. And if those students graduate to influence a local church, hallelujah, that's our end goal. Because we want to equip servant leaders who will help build up the church because through the church, the gospel is incarnated and spread out, and that's a global mission. So there you go, quick commercial about our college and why we do what we do, and uh, that's our mission. And we value your prayerful partnership. If you ever think of Boise Bible College, or if you're coming through, stop by our prayer. We would value your partnership in that regard, so thank you. I'm really uh, appreciative, Matt, of the opportunity to talk about food I love this series of eating a meal with Jesus, you know, that, that is, uh, that's ingenious, I love it, so maybe we feast on this experience, so let me just tell you, I love to have a lot of fun, I love to giggle and laugh, I do, there were tendencies in my earlier days where I was pretty serious, like seriously serious, and I mean like as a young Christian growing up in a Christian home and a, and a solid Christian church, I think I thought I could have written a book, and it might have been titled this if I were to be honest, Successful Habits of the Religious Pharisee in Me. As a little dude, and I think it would have been a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, you see, early on as a Christian, I viewed, I, I viewed Christianity as a set of rules I had to keep and do. And so this book would reveal ways not to know how to do the rules better, but actually ways to foster and maintain a badge of honor that I was better than you. If you want a spouse to be better than, this would be the book. That was my sort of transparency, sort of an attitude of judgmentalism and a heart of, of fostering that, that I'm keeping the rules better than 
you are. That would be the heart of the book. And if I were to have written that book, which I didn't, but if I were written it, I think some of the chapters and topics might have been these. Be skeptical of the genuineness of those who overly are demonstrative in worship. Be disappointed with the undisciplined Christians who do not have regular devotional time. Be upset when people do not bow their head in prayer during communion. You may look around and judge your neighbor accordingly if you like. Just for... <laughs> Be cautious when meeting people from that church, from across town. <laughs> you know, with those sorts of uh, uh, those who call themselves Christians but, uh, but show themselves to be less consistent, a few more chapters. Be vexed when they are not in person on Sundays. Mm. Be aggravated with social sins like when they cuss or drink or when they vote along party lines that you don't think were the right party. And lastly, be disturbed when they listen to non-Christian radio and they dance or drink alcohol. There you go. You know where the spirit of the book, right? Uh, thank God the book never was written. No word was ever typed. <laughs> but at a young age, uh, the spirit of judgmental habits kind of inhabited my heart. And stunted my spiritual depth and my growth, actually, and suffocated God's grace. Early on, now that I look back, early on I was, I was suffocated, I was suffocating God's grace that really wanted to ooze out through me, that I'd be a conduit of that grace, but, but my religiosity was prohibiting that. And Well, you see, as Tim Keller, as Tim Keller put it, as long as we think we're not that bad, the idea of grace will never change us. Praise God, he didn't give up on me, us. His grace got a hold of me. And so if I were to write a new book today, it would be Grace Within a Recovering Pharisee. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it would be a bestseller or not, but it would be a an autobiography. And you know, I'm still learning with you. I'm still learning that true Christian discipleship is based, it's grounded, it's rooted on the foundation of grace, that that, that discipleship is based on grace, which motivates. It actually empowers and instills and invites me to give myself to something beyond myself, not just to keep it about myself. And that's the way Jesus lived. That's, that's discipleship. That's, yeah. Discipleship's not about me. I'm learning that. But I was the focus of my Christian journey early on as a young Pharisee. So in this current message series, that talking about eating meals with Jesus, we're going to look at another meal today. We're going to look at another conversation with a guy, a person who clung to religious habits, who was spiritually unhealthy, a man whose religiosity suppressed and suffocated fellowship and wholeness he was a Pharisee, and so their problem as Pharisees in Jesus' world was, was I. I. I was their motto. I mean, re they repeated every day in the mirror as they shaved and got their hair ready, look at how fair I see myself. Okay, yeah, I know. You can borrow that if you want. That was, that was going to be a footnote in the book, and... <laughs> The Pharisees 
to remind ourselves we're a group of laymen, the uber-conservative right wing of the first century Judaism who stood up for truth. They were self-appointed watchdogs. Uh, Let me get to that slide. (laughs) There you go. They ensured Judaism's purity, that it was preserved. They, They separated themselves from society by strictly, harshly applying Old Testament rules to all sorts of aspects of everyone's lives. They were judgmental, they were condescending, they were arrogant, and more concerned about their own religious reputation than God's reputation. Ouch. Pharisees were highly concerned about preserving man-made, a man-made hedge around the Torah. So break one of our rules, shame on you. Break one of God's rules, that's really bad. So we created a man-made hedge, but those became equal to Torah in many ways. They, they attempted to protect God's law, but at the same time, they sought to acquire power to control their popularity. And in doing so, they missed God's heart. They missed the heartbeat of the author of the Torah. They wanted to do right for God. I do believe they wanted to do right for God, but they became so self-righteous that their that their hearts and their minds were not aligned with Yahweh. And when Yahweh put skin on, clearly Jesus was not one they aligned with. And, and you did not love the Lord, their, the, the Lord their God. They didn't love him with all their soul, heart, mind, or strength. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And so when it comes down to having a meal with Jesus, they wouldn't dare submit to him or truly befriend him over a meal. So today in Luke 11... You're welcome to turn there. We're, we're going to look at a couple of stories that will reveal some ways that we can continue to grow as Jesus followers towards this goal of discipleship. Giving yourself for something beyond yourself. Becoming like Jesus who has no I when Jesus is spelled. We're talking about Christian discipleship taking on the character of Jesus, of thinking others as as more important than oneself. It's hard to follow and imitate Jesus when you're a Pharisee. You know why, don't you? Because while you're religiously aware, the Pharisees were spiritually numb to God's heart. They were, as I put it this way, they were, let me go through, there's that list, sorry. There they all are, snapshot. They were, the Pharisees were, informed, and they knew better. They were sort of the know-it-all who knew it all, and they wanted you to know they knew it all, and they knew everything better than y'all. In our first story today, Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee to dinner. Would you go? (laughs) A dinner at his house, hosted by the Pharisee, in the Pharisee's house, You know, just to remind you maybe of some things with the meals, basic meals, ingredients for a good meal with someone would be, it's based on hospitality that's really warm. The Musgraves, I I experienced that last night, uh, staying in their home. Hospitality over a meal and and the the kindness over a meal and, and sharing one's storehouse from one's pantry, from one's freezer, providing what's necessary so that it's a comfortable connection point, you know? Maybe some music in the back room. Make sure the temperature's correct. Are you indoors or outdoors? Depends on what the weather is like. The bathrooms are clean. The lights are on. You greet them at the door. Uh, you don't wait for, the, you know, for anything else to happen. You set the table so it's just right, you know? 
and you're willing to you're willing to put up with them if they pick the wrong fork up and not the correct fork. And as recently was happened in our home, when the glass of water gets spilled, you don't make a big deal about it. Hospitality, it's about making a sweet memory, a potential friend. The biblical term koinonia comes to mind. But this meal that Jesus has been invited to is risky territory because this Pharisee and the other Pharisees had previously in chapter 11 and into chapter 10 and into back in chapter 9, previously charged him of blasphemy when he claimed to forgive sins. And they scorned Jesus because he befriended sinners. And they accused him of breaking their traditions, which were close to inspiration of scripture, <laughs> like fasting and Sabbath. And, and this supper was more of an ambush than a peace treaty. In Luke eleven thirty seven, 37, Jesus enters the house. He sits down at the table, and the Pharisee is shocked, Luke records. He's appalled and somewhat offended that we, when he saw Jesus, who sat down without doing the ceremonial washing for the meal. <gasps> Gasp. Jesus is criticized for neglecting the ceremonial washing that Judaism required before eating a meal. And so Jesus kind of unleashes a critique kind of early in the meal. It's an awkward moment. Uh, he's a series of heartbroken woes to the Pharisee, expert of the law. He says this in verse 39. Uh, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. Can you see Jesus maybe picking one of these up at the table? Visual aid. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And he continues on in verse 40 with a few more verses. I like how Eugene Peterson phrases this. I've had it up with you, hopeless Pharisees. You know better. You're frauds. You keep meticulous accounts of their tithe, but find hopeless loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. You're sitting at the heads of the table. You love the radiance of public flattery. You're like unmarked graves with a grassy surface that people walk over, never suspecting the rot and the corruption six feet down. Great dinner talk, huh? <laughs> the Pharisees are self-absorbed. They are... They are legalistic. Jesus said it this way, they do all their religious deeds to be noticed by men, to which God, is, God was just a, but a means to their end. They kept the religious rules of God at the expense of relationships with God and other people. And Jesus taught that, that inner purity of the heart is the root of of one's behavior. But the Pharisees, their inner motives, their inner their innards, now that we're in October, their innards were like a rotting spider web infested, hollowed out pumpkin sitting on your porch well into Thanksgiving. Their innards were unhealthy. On the outside, looking okay, but on the inside, very ill. Let me illustrate it. I'm a baseball fan, especially this time of year. My Cardinals just got beat last night. Ugh. St. Louis Cardinals are out of the playoffs, but in 2002, the Cardinals were playing a game and in Chicago against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. But the game was canceled June 22nd because of an eerie discovery that was found that morning. The Cards' ace pitcher 
Daryl Kyle, 33 years old, was found dead in a Chicago hotel room. Kyle had been a major league pitching sensation for 12 years. He had appeared in three all-star games. Kyle is six foot five. He's an all-star athlete, excellent health. When the medical examiners conducted an autopsy later that day, though, however, they discovered that Kyle had died of a massive heart attack. His main artery was 90% blocked. 33-year-old man, professional baseball athlete who appeared perfect on the outside, but on the inside, something wasn't right. He died unexpectedly. The uh, Pharisees, they appear healthy and whole on the outside, but their hearts were corrupt and decaying. They were legalistic experts of Scripture. They were zealous to flaunt that in the face of others, and they lacked humility and selflessness and care for humanity. They just kind of lacked that. It was void, and so therefore a spiritual heart disease set in, and, and Dr. Jesus diagnosed that over this meal right in front of that Pharisee. Well, I think the Pharisee kind of anticipated he might have that sort of a barbed conversation with Jesus. And so he didn't invite just Jesus. He had some other friends there to back him up. Other Pharisees came out of the shadows. <laughs> I'm just playing with that. And they sit down and Jesus is immediately outnumbered. <laughs> and one of the religious scholars, says, scholars at the supper with Jesus, he spoke up, or maybe I should say he he kind of whined a little bit. Jesus, teacher, do you realize in saying these things you've insulted us? <laughs> Jesus, you're hopeless. Are you kidding me? You load people down with rules and regulations, nearly breaking their backs, and you never, they never helped them by lifting a finger to help. I've insulted you. See, here's sort of the thought is these Pharisees, they... They were well-informed, self-absorbed, legalistic stumbling blocks. They were know-it-alls who should have known better with the information they were given. The oracles of God were given to this people, and the Pharisees knew it. The Pharisees were all about themselves, however, not about giving themselves to something beyond themselves. Jesus said it in verse 52, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You've taken the key of knowledge away. You, don't, you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. If I can rephrase it, you took the key of knowledge given to you by God through the Old Testament scriptures, but instead of unlocking the doors, you locked them up. And you won't draw near to God if you do that, and you won't anybody else draw close to God either. They were well-informed stumbling blocks having a meal with Jesus by upholding their religious rules with pious attitudes of self-righteous fulfillment of those rules better than anyone else, they actually blocked. They, they blocked access to God for a fellowship meal with other people, prohibiting broken people, hurting people, marginalized people, lower on the rung of society, people, struggling people, they blocked them from having access to God. And they knew it. In doing so, they missed God. 
A few years ago, Barna Research Group came up with some, some data in their research, acquired some statistics that show that those outside the church view, how they view those inside the church. Uh, it's a few years off, but I think the data is pretty close to today. Their data revealed that nine out of 10 outsiders, 87%, said that the term judgmental accurately describes present day Christians. Of those non-Christians that were surveyed, about 84% they per- said they personally knew a committed Christian, yet only 15% thought the lifestyle of that committed Christian was unique from the norm. In other words, not judgmental. A very small sliver of Christians viewing or presenting themselves as non-judgmental to those non-Christians. Stumbling block Christians are eager to, to vet out people they deem unworthy to be included table. Let's be brutally honest, if you haven't already hinted where we're going, we each have a little Pharisee habit within us. When we secure ourselves and our theology into safe, controllable boxes, it may be accurate to Scripture, but so firm that there isn't any grace for those that don't quite fit the box or the mold, such when another person's doctrine or their morality or their, their, their music desires, they don't perfectly align with ours, and that, that person can be, oh, we would never say it, shunned, excluded. Thus, we trip them up in their immature, undeveloped seeking of truth basis for living. Do you want to ruin a potentially beautiful meal conversation with Jesus? <laughs> you want to know how to do that? Whine as you dine. You insulted us. <laughs> Defend yourself. Ignore the harvest the Lord asks us to pray for. A collision, I think, happened at that meal right there. A collision took place over that meal between Jesus and that Pharisee and his friends. A necessary collision, I think. That's why Jesus said what he said, and actually a beautiful collision for me and, and for us, for when this type of collision occurs, it, it actually reveals how, if we're honest, how self-absorbed I had become when I was younger. And even today, if we're honest, we too occupy a chair at the table, that Pharisee's table. Like me, a, a collision actually was needed. I needed a collision at the cross to be encountered and confronted by the cross so I could be rescued. A collision at Jesus' cross changed me to become more like him and less about religious rule-keeping, and it's changed my worldview. I'm still working that out. I got Pharisaic habits, tendencies. Do you? I have to continually meet Jesus at this meal to allow him to reveal who I am. You know, as soon as Jesus left the table, those religious scholars, those Pharisees, they... They went into a rage. They lost their mind. They went over and over everything he said. And at that moment in Luke 11, they begin plotting how they're going to trap him into something using his own words from his own mouth. And as a result, Jesus was correct in identifying the spiritual cancer in their souls that they weren't able to disguise from him. It's one thing to understand God quite another to stand under God and his authority. Kind of like a TSA x-ray machine when you fly through Portland International Airport and you step through that TSA machine, everything is revealed. 
in our soul before God and we allow God to examine us to the core. Want to have a meal with Jesus? It may be revealing and a little uncomfortable, but so good. So here's one summary to this thought. Here's one summary. Jesus followers are brutally honest with ourselves about our, how self-absorbed we can become and self-righteous and legalistic and that can cause others to stumble if we're not careful. Discipleship focuses more on another and less on oneself. True followers seeking the face of Jesus, having an intimate koinonia meal with Jesus, allow him to reveal the self-absorbed, self-righteous, and stumbling block habits that we can have with those that are lost. Those who spiritually stumble around, they need us. They need a guide. They need truth. They need a light for their journey and helping them know the heart of Jesus. But too many are simply uninformed. Too many are uninformed about him. So like the crowds, the crowds in Luke 11 are not invited to that meal. There are crowds in Luke 11 that are uninformed and they're never given an invite to join the Pharisees and Jesus at that meal. You see, unlike the Pharisees, unlike the Pharisees that are legalistic and they cause people to stumble, unlike the Pharisees, the uninformed, the uninformed are those who just don't know. They're spiritually blind. The crowds... They don't know in Luke 11. These folks are intentionally kept in the dark by the Pharisees. It's not that the crowd was ignoring Jesus. I think they didn't know what they didn't know, and the Pharisees kept them ignorant. The Pharisees kept them in the dark in order to control them. These uninformed believers were spiritually blind. And Jesus says it in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. One has to consciously join Jesus. There's no neutral ground. You're not on, you're either on his side or not on his side. Those in the know, the informed Pharisees, didn't reveal this truth to the uninformed outsiders. By nature, Religious and real ritualistic Pharisees in Jesus' day separate themselves from anyone that's blind and ignorant of the truth, leaving them lost in their darkness. That they, in the darkness that the Pharisees are actually called to be a light within. The Pharisees are more concerned with following the policies and, and the procedures manual of how to screw a light bulb in in the synagogue rather than to be a light outside of the synagogue. They were struggling to live up to the call that God had upon them. We who have followed Jesus for a long time, we who have followed him can become eye-focused, self-oriented about our righteousness, about our holiness, about our knowledge base, tempted to let spiritually blind people continue to stumble because they don't know better, to stumble in the darkness because they're so immoral, they're so unpleasing to God that we just continue to let them stumble, but that's not what we're called to do. Let me illustrate it this way. If you'll do a little participation with me, would you mind? In a moment, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes just for about 15 seconds. Uh, You know, just 
to think about what it might be like if you were blind. Would you? Ready? Just close your eyes right now. Now think about this. Try to complete a couple of basic tasks with your eyes closed as though you were blind, like separating your medications. Okay, can you picture the kitchen and your microwave? Maybe you remember certain buttons on the microwave, but can you control it if you're blind? One last thing. What about trying to log in to read your email? Think about all the questions that might come to mind if you're blind. You can open your eyes. Thank you for your participation with me on that. Uh, a few years ago, a, an app for a smartphone was created that allows sighted people to lend their eyes to those with visual impairments through the use of their video chat. Here's the, here's the app. Uh, Be My Eyes is an app developed by a visually impaired man in Denmark. It, it it's pretty basic. It connects a blind person to a sighted volunteer through video chat in this app. And so the volunteer can ask, answer questions because they can see through the camera what the blind person's surroundings are in their house, for example. And so, you know, you can connect with a young man who, uh, who, wants, you know, who wants to know the expiration date of a milk carton in his refrigerator. And so you direct him to the fridge and he opens it up and, and he can point the camera to the date on the, on the milk carton, and you might say, ooh, I wouldn't drink that. <laughs> you know? He'll thank you by the end of the call, and you'll have a great conversation until the next time. That's discipleship. Discipleship is giving yourself for something beyond yourself to benefit someone other than yourself. It's contrary to Phariseeism. Christian discipleship is the way Jesus did it. And in Luke 11, there are spiritually blind people, the crowds, uninformed, wanderers in the dark, stumbling around over things they can't even identify. And they could sure benefit from someone who would lend them their eyes, spiritually speaking. They sure could benefit from being invited to sit at a meal with Jesus and praying that they would truly begin to see their situation for what it is and then follow him. And Jesus actually speaks to the crowds about this. At least Luke records referencing Jonah. Do you remember the story to Jonah? Jonah hesitated to inform those brutal Ninevites of God's offer of salvation. Jonah didn't think they deserved it. And so what did he do? He withheld it. He was one of the first Pharisees in our Bible. He withheld the offer of salvation, but in his spa treatment in the middle of the belly of the whale... He eventually went to Nineveh, and he was shocked, surprised at how those evil Ninevites reacted to the good word. The crowds are without excuse, Jesus says. Even the Ninevites testify against the crowds, proclaiming Jesus is greater than the Pharisees. More sentiment won't cut it as a disciple, and just claiming membership at a church doesn't mean you're automatically growing in your discipleship. Discipleship doesn't just naturally happen. You don't just kind of drift into discipleship. You have to work and lean into the spiritual gymnasium of following Jesus so that you can help lend your eyes or be a light to those that are stumbling who don't even know the beauty of communion with Jesus that you do. God provided a lamp to guide us, a lamp through the teachings of Jesus, and now it's our privilege 
to be his followers, to help others learn to follow him to the cross. Jesus said this, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is, unhe- when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your body is unhealthy, or when your eye is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure the light you think you have is actually not darkness. <laughs> if you're filled with light, no one dark, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant. Sorry, I missed a slide. Your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. And the implication is that if one has good eyes, a clear pathway to the soul, then one will see the instructive light of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and as a result, become a lamp to others. That's the natural result. You see, true followers of Jesus don't just sit and settle to be a fan in the bleachers. True followers of Jesus are committed to be on the field, Players of influence to, to impact the uninformed crowd by, not living out Je- by living out Jesus' grace right in front of them. Christian discipleship means we're out of the bleachers, out of the chairs, out of the pews, into the field, into the, into the harvest field, in the game to influence the crowds who are uninformed, who don't know how to live any different that Jesus' grace would call them to repentance and to truth. That's Christian discipleship. Christian discipleship, if I can boil it down, would be this. As Christ gave of himself to benefit others, his followers give themselves to benefit someone else. When they cry for help, Jesus' followers are, offer compassion. Not shaming but compassion and instruction, grace and truth for others to follow him. That's our privilege. But self-promoting Pharisees, it's all about me. And the external appearance is to be talked about as righteous. However, the others serving followers, it's all about him. I'm rolling up our sleeves, no matter the cost to myself or my, my name, because their hearts are aligned with Jesus when I serve them in that regard. An others-serving follower could be illustrated this way. An 81-year-old man, Robert Kupferschmid, say that three times, Kupferschmid, with no flying experience, entered a plane. He, however, due to a tragic emergency, he was forced to fly a plane. <laughs> Here's the story. In June 1998, he, Robert Cooperschmidt, and his friend, the pilot, his name is Wesley Sickle, Wesley the pilot and Robert the co-pilot or the, 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 the friend, they were flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. It's only about a 30-minute flight. But during the flight, Mr. Sickle, the pilot, slumped over and died at the controls. Immediately, the Cessna 172 single-engine prop plane began to nosedive, and Mr. Cooperschmid grabbed the controls, having no flying experience, immediately got on a radio and pleaded for help, wouldn't you? (laughs) 
And nearby there were two pilots flying their planes in the same area, and they heard the cry for help. And Mount Comfort was the closest airport. And two, the, these two pilots gave Mr. Cooperschmid a steady stream of clear, basic instructions about such things as climbing and steering and the scariest part, landing. Those two experienced pilots circled the runway three times with Mr. Cooperschmid. Three times, totally inexperienced as a pilot in order to divert disaster. And emergency vehicles got got pulled out on the, near the runway and ready for what would seem like a clear disaster. And witnesses said that as the plane touched down, the plane's nose nudged the center line of the runway and bounced a few times before the tail hit. And the Cessna ended up on a patch of soggy grass next to the runway. And amazingly, Mr. Cooperschmid, standing there, was uninjured, scared to death, but living to tell about it saved. Okay, I'm going to run with this analogy. Stay with me. (laughs) That uninformed pilot was flying blind, but he listened in his desperation for clear instructions of truth from informed pilots as if his life depended on it, and it did. And those two pilots were aeronautical disciple makers at that moment. (laughs) For They were unselfish with the knowledge they had. Good luck, buddy. They were unselfish with the information and the training they had, and they selflessly helped a desperately ignorant novice follow instructions that led to salvation, Christian discipleship. There are desperate people around us, flying blind. Too proud to confess they don't know how to fly blind, fly it. And I think they want something that Jesus offers, but they may not fess up to that. Our encounter with Jesus opens our eyes and softens our hearts and and helps us think with our minds the way he would think, what he would do. And we've got to encounter Jesus regularly around these meal times of fellowship in order to be who he would be to neighbors not yet sitting at the table. Conversing with Jesus, our feasting with Jesus, our seeking of his face and our bent ear to listen to Jesus. That's the privilege we have when we focus on his cross. Everything changes. Or maybe it could be said this way. When I gets crossed out, Jesus becomes the focus and his cross becomes the focal point. When I get crossed out, his cross becomes the focal point and then I really live. I really live no longer for myself but for him to impact others. Hmm. May we have more meals so that we can invite others to the meal. Would you bow with me and let's pray.